Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 147, which we read earlier in our call to worship. I encourage you to turn there. You can also find it in your worship guides on page 13. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. I remind you that God's word is a lamp to our feet and our light to our path. Psalm 147. And I will do my best to recite this for you. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. And yes, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do you feel about praising the Lord? How do you feel about singing his praises this morning? Listen to how this psalm begins. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Exclamation point. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. A song of praise is fitting. It is good. It is pleasant. It is fitting. Praise the Lord. For some of us, this opening verse resonates with our souls. Our hearts are filled to overflowing and we rejoice this morning in praising our God. But others may have a different experience this morning. For others of us, the opening words of this psalm may end with a question mark. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, question mark. For any number of reasons, it may not seem good or pleasant or fitting. If we're honest, the word that we might choose instead is hard. It is hard to sing praises to our God. 
Maybe that's exactly where you are at this morning. This psalm is for us. It's for Zion, the people of God. It's for God's grieving saints who suffer in profound ways. And it's for God's embattled saints who still struggle with remaining sin. We need this psalm. Whatever our experience, however we are feeling this morning, here is the fact. It is good. It is fitting. It is pleasant to sing his praise. And this psalm was written for us to tell us why. What reason do we have to praise the Lord? So, why is it good and pleasant and fitting? Well, let me show you from Psalm 147. And as we begin, a, a word about the structure of this psalm. If you look, you'll actually see four calls to praise. We already looked at the first call to praise in verse 1. We see the second call to praise in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. We see the third call to praise in verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. And how does the psalm end in verse 20? It ends with a fourth and final call to praise. Praise the Lord. There are not, uh, there's not one call to praise, not two, not three, but four. As I thought about it, it's like the psalmist can't keep it in. He can't hold it together. He can't help bursting out again and again and again. Oh, Zion, oh, people of God, oh, Jerusalem, will you not join me in praising the Lord? That's the emotion of this psalm. Four calls to praise. And what do we find? What do we find between each one? What fills in the gaps, so to speak, between these four calls to worship? We see many, many reasons for praise. So, why do we praise the Lord? Here's one reason that leaps off the page. We praise him for his commitment to creation. Praise the Lord because he is committed to what he has made. He's committed to his creation. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 say this. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Let's think about the stars for a few moments. When was the last time that you saw stars on a clear night? For me, the last time was probably the men and boys retreat this past fall. It was a clear Friday night out in the country away from so much of the light pollution and we were gathering around a fire and we looked up at the heavens and saw the stars. It was amazing. You know what that experience is like. There are countless stars. I'm not an expert on this, but there are countless stars. We literally can't count them all. Google it sometime. Not now, but later. Google it sometime. You will find a number with too many zeros to count, and it's only an approximate number. It's a guesstimate. 
we literally have no idea. There are so many stars. We have no idea, but God does. He determines their number. He gives to each one its name. God numbers the stars, but as verse 5 points out, his understanding can't be numbered. The stars can be numbered, but his understanding can't be. Unlike the stars, his understanding can't be numbered or measured or quantified. So the Lord our God is, is great and all-powerful and all-knowing and infinite. And he's not a God who created the stars and then couldn't care less. No, that's not our God. The Almighty Creator, he names and numbers every one, each one of those stars. So that's the stars. Now look with me later at verses 8 and 9. The psalm moves to another aspect of God's creation. Verses 8 and 9. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Now, I think the wonder of these verses might be lost on us initially. For most of us, I think uh, we usually think of rain as an annoyance or a nuisance. And does God need to feed the birds when my bird feeder is full? Well, a few Saturdays ago, I was listening to WJTL in the morning, and I heard a catchy kid song. Uh, Maybe some of the kids out there have heard this one too. But it's, it was a song, a catchy song about the water cycle, about evaporation, condensation, and precipitation. A song about the water cycle. Well, who guides that cycle? Who gui- guides the water cycle? Who governs that process of evaporation and condensation and precipitation? Who preserves the weather patterns? Who determines the clouds, the rain, the grass on the hills, who sustains beasts, birds, and every other aspect of creation. The Lord our God, he is committed, absolutely committed to this creation. And if that wasn't enough, the psalm moves to a third aspect of creation. Look with me now at verses 15 through 18. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. How fitting for a morning when it snowed, right? But some of you are ready for winter to end. Some of you are ready, and some of you are disappointed by Phil's prediction on Groundhog Day. Well, whatever you think about winter, whatever you think about winter, let's recover the wonder of what's said here. Why does it snow? Why do frost and hail exist? What about snowmelt, the wind, the water? Why does each snowflake fall exactly where it does? Why? Why? Do you see the clear answer in these verses? 
This world exists and works the way it does because of God's word. His all-powerful word governs, preserves, sustains every aspect of his creation. You may remember from the book of Genesis that God created all things by his word. Well, here we see that his word also executes his will on earth. Every star exists. Every raindrop falls. Every raven is fed. Every snowflake melts. Why? Because God says it should. Your heart pumps. Your lungs breathe. Your eyes blink. Your body moves because God says it should. So as we think about this, are you starting to marvel at the greatness, the power, the glory of God? This is our God. He didn't create this world only to let it run on autopilot. He didn't. He upholds all things. He determines all things by his almighty word. He is absolutely committed to his creation. If you think about it, this this alone is reason to praise the Lord. We don't need, in a sense, we don't need any more reasons. If this is all that the psalm said, then he deserves our praise. He does. When we look at how he governs the universe, as you drove this morning and saw the snow, As we look at this world, we respond in praise. That's what God made us to do. But as you can see, there's more to Psalm 147. We're not yet ready for the benediction. There's there's more in this psalm. I skipped over several verses. And before we turn to those verses, I want to ask you this question. Why do you think that the psalm focuses so much on creation? Why does it focus so much on what God has made? Or, as an example, why is it such a big deal that God feeds the ravens? Why is that a big deal? Let me answer the question by way of the New Testament. You may remember that Jesus once spoke about how God feeds the ravens. Listen as I read from Luke 12. It's a familiar passage. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Do you see the point he's making? Do you see the point that Jesus is making? He's saying, if God cares for the ravens, then how much more does he care for you? If the ravens are valuable in God's eyes, then how much more valuable in God's eyes are his beloved people? One person summarized it this way. He said, if God is committed to preserve his creation, then he is all the more committed to preserving the crown of his creation. If God's committed to to preserve his creation, he certainly is committed to preserve the crown of his creation. And that's exactly where Psalm 147 goes. 
Why does the psalmist lift our gaze to the stars? Why does he lift our gaze to the clouds, to the grass that grows on the hills? Why does he lead us to think about the snow and the snowmelt? Why? To show us that if God is committed to all of this, if God is committed to the stars, then how much more is he committed to his people? The God who names and numbers the stars is the same God who names and numbers his people. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Who is this God, this almighty creator? Who is he? Well, he is the one who builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. We've moved from this, this, we've moved from the heights, this, this panorama of God's glory in creation and now we've moved to a very personal, a very personal place. Listen to this language. It's so personal, it's gentle, it's caring, it's affectionate. The Lord builds up those who are torn down. He gathers in those who were cast out. He heals those with broken hearts. He binds up the wounded. But there's more. There's more at which to marvel. As you look at these verses, do you hear the overtones of the exile? Do you hear the overtones of the exile? Why did Jerusalem need to be rebuilt? Why were there outcasts in the first place that needed to be gathered in? Because God's people grievously sinned against their God. These verses bring ugly sin into view. These verses bring into view grievous, idolatrous sin. My sin, your sin, sin that deserves exile, hell, condemnation. And what does the Lord do? He rebuilds, he gathers in, he redeems, he recreates. You could say that these verses not only bring into view sin, but also God's astonishing grace. This is what God does. He saves. He recreates. So the God who sustains the stars is the God who saves. The God who rules the clouds is the God who redeems. The God who sends snow. The snow that we saw this morning is the same God who sends salvation. So the almighty God is also at the same time the all-merciful God. Both are true. And who are his people? We are a people blessed beyond imagining. Look with me later at verses 13 and 14. Here's the point. God's people, can we put into words? Can we put into words God's blessing on them? Verses 13 and 14. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. So do you see? It's a picture of total, complete, full restoration. And the Bible says that in Christ, now we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And the day is coming when all suffering and all sin will be gone forever. So the point is that if God cares for his creation, 
How much more does he care for his people? How much more? And this is what Jesus said to his disciples. This was his point. Consider the ravens. Brothers and sisters, consider the ravens. God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? That's what Jesus said. And who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? In the Old Testament, God created all things by his word. He delivered his people by his word. He executed his will by his word. And in the New Testament, we read these four staggering words. The word became flesh. In the Old Testament, let me say that again. God created things by his word, all things by his word. He delivered his people by his almighty word. He executed his will by his word. And in the New Testament, we find these words. The word, God's word became flesh. As I studied this psalm in light of the New Testament, I was filled with renewed awe for who Jesus Christ is. God in the flesh, your Savior, my Savior, preserves and sustains and upholds and governs the universe. The snow fell this morning because Jesus Christ said so. That's our Savior. My heart beats. My body lives. Every circumstance happens because Jesus Christ says it should. He upholds all things. So I was filled with awe as I thought about this. Wow, this is who my Savior is. This is who Jesus Christ is. And at the same time, and these two go together, I was struck with a renewed, a renewed sorrow a renewed grief for sin, for my sin. The picture, as I thought about this, that the picture that came to mind was that of a, a young child. A young child, that child, that newborn, whatever the age, that child is dependent on his parents for literally everything. Home, food, clothes, safety, toys, development in every possible way. The child is called a dependent for a reason. Absolutely, totally dependent. Left to himself, that child would quickly die. But his parents provide for his every need. They uphold and sustain and preserve his very life. And so picture this with me. I picture a young child being held by its father held by its father, and that child reaches up and slaps his father across the face. That child reaches up and scratches his father. That child looks into his father's eyes and defiantly says, no, who are you to tell me what to do? The child revolts against the very one who upholds his life. Do you see how this is a shocking portrait of our sin? A shocking portrait. Sin is rebellion and defiance against the very one, Jesus Christ, who upholds our life. 
It's lawlessness and idolatry offending the very one who enables us to breathe right now. That is what sin is. And so we have to ask the question, how could sinners be saved? It's a question we often ask, but how? If it's that bad, if sin is that grievous, how could anyone be saved? If our sin is so defiling and damning, how could we ever be saved? Brothers and sisters, we can be saved because the one who upholds the universe became man and died on a cross. That's why we can be saved. We're saved because Jesus rose from the dead and is coming again. By faith in him, every one of our sins is forgiven. It's pardoned. It's cleansed. So people of God, have we ever heard better news than this? Do we need a better reason to sing out our praises to God? If the Lord is committed to his creation, how much more? How much more is he committed to his people, his blood-bought people, the crown of his creation? And this brings us to a final question, really a life or death question for each one of us. As we reflect on God's people, the question is this, are you one of his people? Are you one of his people? I ask this question because Psalm 147 leads us to ask this question. Each of the three sections... Two sections on page 13 and the next section on page 14. Each one ends with an either or. There are two groups of people. You are either in this camp or in this camp. Let me show you these either ors. The first one is in verse 6. After marveling at how God graciously builds up his people, after looking at the stars, the psalmist says in verse 6, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Do you see the either or? Humble or wicked. So the question is, are you humble? Are you the humble one who who has cried out, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner? Have you trusted in Christ alone? Him alone for your salvation? Or, or, Are you the wicked? The Lord lifts up, he casts down. He lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. Now we may not see this fully in this life. Often it appears like the wicked aren't being cast down and it seems like the the humble aren't being lifted up. We may not see it fully in this life, but we will see it at the day of judgment. The day is coming when each one of us will stand before Jesus Christ, the one who upholds the universe, the one who names and numbers the stars, will open up a book of life. Will your name be there? Will your name be there, listed among the saints, among the people of God? Or will Jesus say to you, who are you? I'm looking at my book. I don't know your name. It's not here. And he will cast you into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. 
God lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. There's another either or in verses 10 and 11. Look with me there, verses 10 and 11. The psalm says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. This is saying, the Lord doesn't delight in fitness. He delights in fear. Not in fitness, but in faith. He takes pleasure. He delights only in those who hope in his steadfast love. Now you may watch the Super Bowl this evening. I'm hoping to. You may watch the Super Bowl. Maybe you will continue watching the Winter Olympics. If, if, you, if you watch those things, then you will see incredible, incredible strength and ability and skill. It is amazing. The Winter Olympics especially seem to have such dangerous, dangerous sports. It is, it's amazing. But the Lord doesn't value what this world values. As people marvel at the ability of football players later tonight. This psalm says the Lord has a different value system. He he looks at the heart. He looks at the heart and delights in those who are in awe of him. So he doesn't delight in Super Bowl rings or in gold medals or anything else that we are so tempted to exalt and prize and treasure, worship. So the question is this, The either or is this, are you one who fears him? Are you one who hopes in his steadfast love? If so, the Lord delights in you. He takes pleasure in you. And if you don't, if your delight is in the strength of man, even a verse from the book of Jeremiah says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Either or. It's either or. The final either or comes in verses 19 and 20. At the very end of the psalm, the final either or. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. So in the, in the Old Testament, God declared his word to Israel. His special revelation came to Israel. Not to Egypt or to Edom or to Assyria or to other nations, but it came to Israel. And now the gospel is going forth. It's going forth to all of the nations, to the Gentiles. So God's plan of, redeem, of redemption that funneled through a nation has now ex. Bloated. It has expanded to the ends of the earth. So the question, the either or is this. Do you know his word? Do you know his statutes, his rules? Have you joined in this blessed, have you been joined to this blessed people of God, Jerusalem, Zion? Or are you ignorant of his rules this very day? as we delight to say, today is the day of salvation. You have heard the gospel. You have heard the good news. And so 
Will you not respond in faith? Jesus Christ upholds our very lives and he commands all people everywhere, men and women, girls and boys. He commands, as the king of the universe, he commands all people everywhere to repent and to find eternal life in him. So will you not come to Christ and be saved? Today is the day of salvation. And for us, for the blood-bought people of God, it's a day of praise. It's a day for us to sing out our praises to God. We are the humble, and the Lord lifts us up. We are those who fear him. We are those who hope in his steadfast love, and he delights in us. This is a day for us of praise. And we praise him We praise him by faith today. We praise him by faith, not by sight. I began this sermon thinking about, reflecting on how often it is hard for us to praise the Lord for many, many different reasons. It is often hard for us to praise the Lord. So we praise him by faith now as as God's people, as Jerusalem, knowing that the new Jerusalem is yet to come. We praise him now by faith, knowing that the end of suffering and sin is coming. The best is yet to come. But our Savior, who upholds the universe, who cares so intimately for his people, will return just like he has promised. And so I hope this psalm, I pray that this psalm has convinced you. It is good. It is pleasant. It is fitting to praise the Lord. So let's do that together. Praise the Lord. Amen.